right. Oh, you're too kind. I love you too. Thank you. I love you too. Hey, I want to invite DLA. Will you come on up here on the stage with me? DLA, I want to thank you for all you've done. Come on up. Give them a huge hand as they come. Come on, guys. just from the bottom of our hearts we love you guys and we're so grateful got a little bit more to go here so this isn't the end yet but you guys are just (laughs) we absolutely love you everybody stretch out your hands let's pray for them all right father we thank you lord jesus for these young leaders we thank you for these young theologians, these young intercessors, God, these young Christians, these future heralders of the gospel, the future missionaries, God, the moms and dads and their future children, Lord Jesus, the pastors, all the different ways you're going to use each of these leaders. God, we pray your blessing over them. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would, that they would encounter you and Holy Spirit, that you would fill them. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would do miracles in their lives. Thank you for the way that they have worked so diligently, Lord God, to help make this conference happen. And God, we thank you for what you're going to do. Use these hands to do miracles. God, use these mouths to proclaim the gospel. Lord Jesus, we ask, Lord, for your will to be done for each one of them. And we pray your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Proud of you guys. Love you. All right, Andrew. Fantastic. All right. Also, I uh, I want you to just see again my <laughs> I almost said beautiful wife, but now I feel awkward about saying it. My the, the my my wife who is who's beautiful and has a beautiful brain as well. Uh, Renata, will you, will you stand? This is, this is my bride, Renata, right here. Your brain's smoking. I love you so much. So much. All right. Let's pray together and dive on in to the Word of God tonight. Jesus, here we are. Your disciples in 2013, your friends, young men and women that session after session after session have worshiped, prayed, cried, danced, listened, taken notes on the word. And Lord Jesus, we ask that that there would be fruit for decades to come as a result of our gathering. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to make a measurable dent in our generation. We want so desperately to be your people and to proclaim the life of God to our generation. So we pray, Holy Spirit, we need you to empower us. We need you to strengthen us. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. When I was uh, a kid, almost a teenager, I, I was curious about what it would be like to be a teenager. I, I, I wanted to have an amazing story. I remember it being in the fifth or the sixth grade when at my church, my dad was the pastor and we had this, this group, this band come in and and they and they and they they played be you know maybe similar to the Desperation Band you know one of them back then now this was the the late 80s one of the the, the lead guitar guy he had a long tail you know what a tail is you know where so he had like the shaved back here with the long tail back there and 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 he got up and he started talking about his past when he was a teenager and his past obviously as a teenager wasn't that long ago because he was only a college student and he said that they were actually a college group from a university and so he started to tell his story about how he was a teenager and as a teenager he was so far from God and he did so many horrible things and I wasn't quite sure what he meant when he said horrible things but I remember as a a fifth or sixth grade hearing him talk about it and hearing him talk about you know how he did these horrible things and yet because of the grace of God he was saved and he was so thankful for the grace of God and I just remember the crowd just just applauding because he was so far and he'd been so messed up and he was so far from God and now he was saved and I remember having the thought, wow, if you really want to have people be impressed with you, you got to go sin a lot. I mean, my brain wasn't fully developed in the fifth grade, but that's what I was thinking. I thought to myself, so, so, so he did those bad things and because he did those bad things that for some reason, there's a whole lot of excitement when he says, but thank God for Jesus. Cause now I'm saved and he saved me. And I was like, huh? The more, the more bad stuff you do, the more, the cooler testimony you have. Huh. I just remember thinking, I wonder what I got to do to have a cool testimony. In fact, there was this man uh, in our church and he... Um, I remember him well because he had a shaved head. And back in those days, I didn't know many people that had shaved heads. Now it's really cool the moment, you know, that you start to become follically challenged at whatever age you shave your head. And we see lots of it. But back then, you you saw a lot of cul-de-sacs, you know, that was more of it. But this guy was just completely bald. And so I thought that was kind of interesting as a child. And so it was about the same age. And I remember just seeing this totally bald guy, you know, coming to our church and he was really cool, real big smile, you know, and he'd always, you know, get down, you know, and give me five, you know, like, hey, Dave, like, hey, David, give me five, you know, kind of thing. And, and, and his, I remember his name was Lonnie and I thought he was really cool. And I remember the time where he went to share his testimony and he didn't seem to be, you know, anybody that, you know, was any different than anybody else to me, but he told his testimony about how he had been in jail and he had, and he had gotten saved and Jesus had saved him while he was in jail. And now he was, he was on the board or something. I don't know. He was like, you know, like a big deal. And I remember my dad and my dad was the pastor just, just flipping out about this guy. Like he was in jail and now he's here. Jail, church, jail, church. And the whole crowd, yeah. And I just remember thinking, I got an idea. That's the answer. You want a cool story? Got to go to jail. Somehow in my head, I didn't quite understand. Everybody that had this crazy story of this horrible season of their lives, and then somehow they encountered God and turned their life around, that seemed to be... The story that was so epic. 
And I didn't quite have the theology as a child to exactly kind of understand, but I knew that these people that had this horrible story and, 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 and this, the, the guy from the band, it was his teenage years. And I just remember that so specifically. And I, I talked to my dad about it. I remember talking to my dad about what's, what, 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 what's the deal. And he said, and my dad talked to me about how he said, well, teenagers are crazy. I said, really? He goes, oh yeah. And I could see it because in my church, most of the time people were treated normally kind of adults and children, but those teenagers, they got everything. The teenagers on Wednesday night met together and children's church, we studied the Bible. Old people Sunday school, they studied the Bible. Teenagers, they played video games, got pizza and popped balloons with their butt. I mean, and I didn't quite understand like, what's the story? What, what, so, so, so teen years is different. And if you have this story of maybe doing something kind of bad or wrong, somehow in my head I thought, that's, that's the best story. And I just remember thinking, trying to, trying to wrestle through that. And I thought to myself, wow, I wonder what kind of story, what's my teenage story gonna be? I mean, what's, what's my teen story? I mean, after all, everybody obviously thinks it's a big deal what your story is. And clearly these teenagers are going through something that they get lots of cool stuff. I mean, I remember I thought I wanted to be a pastor. And so I would sit in my dad's office and my dad's office was filled with books. And he sat there talking to crying women, you know, counseling. And I was like, all right, this is what you do. You read books and you talk all day. Then I went across the hall to the youth pastor's office, the pool table and Pac-Man video game, 1980s, Atari, you know, and I, and I, I decided I'm going to switch careers. There's no chance I want to sit around and talk to people that are crying and read books. No, the youth pastor, he just, he just plays pool and Pac-Man all day with teenagers. That's got to be, that's got to be great. Why? Why, why, did, why did these teenagers get all this attention? They, they, they had a Wednesday night service where they did it. It's called Wednesday Night Live. It was a playoff of Saturday Night Live. And they got to play games and like, I don't know, like have shaving cream wars and do all these crazy things. And I just, I, and then I finally, I finally discovered why. Everybody pitied teenagers because they were in puberty. Like there was something about puberty that caused everybody to just pity the teenager. Just you poor kid, your hair is growing under your arms now and your, your voice is changing and we're just so sorry. And so let's supply for you a whole different kind of program and let's help you because we, 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 we pity you and... These teen years are so hard. If we can just get you to make it through these teen years, if you can just kind of endure these teen years, if somehow you can just make it through and, and not do bad things and not fall away, then, then, then maybe you'll be okay. And I had great anticipation for wondering what my teen years were gonna turn out like. And then they finally came. I was 12 years old, my family moved. We moved from Idaho to Oklahoma, and I uh, remember 
There it is. I remember uh, we moved uh, in, and, and my sisters and I, I was a triplet. My sisters and I were 12. My brother was seven. Dan was seven at the time. And we moved and we were, went to my dad's new church. We, he, we had been at one church and now we were starting a new church. And it was the very first Sunday. And the church had received a lot of information about their new pastor. The new pastor's coming and he's got three kids that are 12 and one that's seven. And they, you know, sent out our picture and we were the new pastor's family. And so on the very first Sunday, I was excited to go to the youth group. I was ready to start my teen years. And here we go. It's going to be a different church in a, in a, in a different city and a different school, but I'm going to begin my journey. I'll never forget my very first, my very first Sunday. I came, I was from the North and you know, came in, we entered the South and in the South, they talked a whole different language. They talked differently. I remember, yes. And I remember walking in and, and, uh, and I, I was kind of lost on the church campus. I didn't quite know where I was. And, and so I, this lady looked at me and she said, can I help you? And I said, yeah, my name's David. And she said, oh, you're the new preacher's son. And I was like, yeah. And she goes, I'll take you to your class. And I was like, thank you. And so we walk over and, and uh, she takes me to the class with all the seven-year-olds. And, uh, and I said, um, I got there and I said, are you sure? I don't think this is my class. And she said, she said, aren't you Dan? And I said, no, 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 I'm David. And she goes, oh, <laughs> sorry, David. And she couldn't say David. She said, David. <laughs> and so there I was, you know, beginning my, my teen years, uh, 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 you know, scarred on my first Sunday as we left the children's seven-year-old seven classroom and she showed me where, what she called it. She said, I'll take you to the teen house. That's what she said. I'll take you to the teen house. And I show up, you know, at the teen house and, you know, a little bit overwhelmed. And I realized, you know, the, most people had teen years, they were pitied because they were starting puberty. And my problem was puberty took a long time. And just didn't come for a long time. And I just began my journey at 12, just those teen years. And I, and I want to talk to you tonight about your teen years. I want to be specific tonight about your teen years. I want to just kind of narrow in on these, these teen years. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Because you're going to spend your teen years somehow. Some way, you're going to have a teen story. And I don't know exactly what your story is going to be, but maybe you're like me. Maybe you, you, you kind of thought, well, I, I, maybe I should even have a prodigal season. I mean, after all, won't Jesus just deserve the glory if he saves a wretch like me? What's the problem with that? What if I don't develop the addiction, but I do go ahead and flirt with greed and lust and pride and partying and you name it? And really, you're making choices about what your teen years are going to look like. And I'm just asking the question tonight. So you've got one chance and one chance to be a teenager. And you're making the choices on what your teenage years are going to look like. And the truth is, is that the decisions that you make in your teens, you're building for your 20s. And as you, and the, the choices that you make in your teens impact your 20s. And your 20s set you up for your 30s. And your 30s set you up for your 40s and so on. And so you've got real choices to make. 
We've been here, we've been worshiping, we've been praying, we've been seeking God. Yet the next 362 days is where it's important to see what, 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 what choices are you going to make? How are you going to live? I want you to just imagine in your brain right now, just picture it. I want you to imagine your 20th birthday. Just close your, mind, close your eyes and I just want you to picture it. 20 years old. What's your testimony? What have you lived during your teen years? Where are you going to be? What's your story going to be? I see a few different ones. You can open your eyes. I see a few different ones. Some of you, you're going to be right here. You're going to be like, you're going to... Hopefully this is none of you, but you see it. You see it with your friends. This is where some people are. They rebel. And they rebel their teen years. And my hope is that none of you rebel your teen years. The, re- the rebellion, you know, I'm going to say, who cares to mom and dad? I'm going to have a, a cold heart towards God. I'm going to do things my way. And whatever addiction you develop, whatever, it's anything being Lord other than God. And you just, and people go their own way. And some people, as we deal with 20-year-olds and walk with them, and the, the wounds that they have because of the choices that they made in their teen years is unbelievable. The stories that they have from, teen, from, from their teen years. So some people rebel their teen years. A prodigal. Making choices that say, forget God. I'm going to live apart from God. Some of you... Your temptation is just going to be, maybe not to rebel your teen years, but to waste your teen years. Just to be the sluggard bum that watches perpetual movies, sleeps in, has no vision to reach your high school or junior high. Wastes all kinds of time, lives mostly for me. I'm not going to be one of those bad kids. I'm not going to do the the bad things. I'm not going to get in trouble but I don't have a real vision for my life either. This is where so many of us live. Just waste our teen years. You just waste them. And you've got a whole culture that's trying to get you to waste them because the more you waste them, the more they can profit off of you. So they build websites and television programs and movies all to get your dollar, to get you to just waste away your teen years. And in your head, you're thinking, hey, well, I'm not engaging in sin. So I'm successful, and tonight I'm here to tell you, you're not. If you waste your teen years, even if it's just that you aren't a prodigal, if you waste these years, it's a failure. You go, no, 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 David. No, because I can waste it, and I can just make it. If I can just make it through puberty, you know, if I can just make it through these hard, difficult years, these difficult, let me tell you this tonight, I don't pity you, I don't pity you because you're in puberty. The truth is, American culture that says it's okay to waste your teenage years, that's not the Jesus way. That's not the biblical way. And you live in a culture that's doing everything possible to try to get you just to think more about you, just to waste it. We live in a culture where I'm watching it and teen culture just erupt this perpetual social networking thing. And it's just huge. I mean, it's just the addiction to Facebook and Instagram. And and Facebook is big. Instagram's blowing up. 
and, and I'm on Instagram. It's okay. I'm not, I mean, we, we, we did a little despogram thing, but here's the thing I want to ask you. What's going on in your heart? Is it, is it a medium that is just showing you, wasting? I mean, we love to do it. We, we're constantly saying, taking a picture, trying to show other people, look where I'm at. Hey, let's, let's take a picture, our friends. We're partying tonight. We're hanging out here. We're doing this. And so the temptation is you flip through it and you just start to live in perpetual dissatisfaction because so many other people are doing so many other things. And all, all the time you're looking at it and you're going, I'm going to put a picture of myself and then I'm just praying to God I get a bunch of likes so I can know that I'm important and I'm okay and what I'm doing is okay. And we get a false sense of importance. And we live mostly for the eyes of what other people like us or see us. And it's an addiction. It's growing. It's constant. I mean, you can read all the articles about teenagers that they, they're on it when they go to bed. They are on it when they get up in the morning. They're on it at school. They're, they're tied to it. It's a 24-7 addiction. It's an addiction to narcissism. It's me. I like me. I want, I want people to see me. I want people to notice me. And it's, I want to see you. And I want to know what you're doing and what you're doing. And I want to see you. And it's our eyes. It's fixing our eyes on ourselves and on each other perpetually. Do you know what Romans or what Revelation 4 and 5 talks about? It talks about that around the throne, people, creatures cry out to God night and day in worship, honoring, saying to him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb, be blessing and glory and honor and power forever and ever. And the way that everything ends up is a 24-7 constant perpetual worship of God. That's where all this is going. And one of the plans I believe of the enemy is to get as many of us possible staring at each other and perpetually 24-7. Look at me, notice me, look at me, look at you, let me know. And anything possible to try to get our eyes off Jesus and onto ourselves. We live in a culture of 24-7 connected, 24-7, I've got it. And it's an addiction and it's hard and the temptation is just to live there and to spend these teen years looking at me, looking at you and waste it. What do you think of me? What do I think of you? How many young people step over their line from 19 to 20 and look back. And they can't look back and see a young person on mission, a young person that knows who they are, but instead they look back and they, it's just, they can't, it's just, I survived. I'm alive. My prayer for to you tonight is not that you would rebel your teen years, Not that you would waste your teen years, but that you would tithe your teen years to God. Here's what I mean by that. I want to invite you to tithe your teen years. Tell me, tell me, what percentage was a tithe? 10%. 10%. So 10%, so the tithe was that which was consecrated unto God. It's that which was set apart for God. It wasn't to be touched and used for the ordinary. It was consecrated. It was, it was all through the Old Testament we read about this tithe, this, this God gives us all things and it's all God's. So we set aside 10% and it's all his anyway, but it's a statement of trust to God that's saying, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give back to you what's already yours. And it's a statement of faith and it's a statement of saying, God, this is consecrated, this is untouchable, this, is, this belongs to you. This is, this, this, and talking mostly of, you know, money, sheep or goats or whatever, but. 
I want to talk to you tonight about that 10%. Psalm chapter 90. It's a psalm of Moses. And he says, help us to number our days aright, O Lord. For a man lives but 70 years, or 80 if he has strength. I started to think about that. Okay, here's Moses. A psalm of Moses, a prayer of Moses. And he says, the human life is 70 years, maybe 80 if they're lucky. Maybe 80 if they have strength. So I looked it up. According to the all-knowing Wikipedia, who knows, the average American lives into their 70s. The average death of an American is their 70s. So it matches up with Psalm 90. According to Psalm of Moses, Psalm 90, 70 years. So let's just round this off tonight to 70 years. Let's just say that out of those of us in the room, we're gonna, the average life is 70, all right? So I'm 36, which means I'm on the way down. But don't laugh, Brandon. All right. That was too loud. That was... So let's take that. So I know that you guys are brilliant. What's, what's, what's 10% of 70? Good. How many teen years do you have? 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Let's talk about those seven years. Let's just talk about the, 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 the teens, the crazy years. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Let's talk about tithing those seven years. Let's say that your life's gonna be 70 years, just average, give or take. What would happen if we tithed those seven years? What would happen if we said, you know what, God? My whole life belongs to you. You've already made that commitment. You've already, I mean, you've, you've, you've already said all in. You've already sang the song, right? We sang it just a moment ago, all to him, all to him. I, we owe everything. Our promise is Jesus, our future, right? We've already said that, right? I know that, sorry. No, <laughs> I just... So, so we, we, just, we just sang that song. That's already done. We're already in. All to him. It's all to him. All right, great. I'm talking, but I'm kind of carving in a little bit because sometimes we say, I want to be wholehearted. I'll give everything to God. I'll give everything to God. You know, that whole thing. We, and we sing it, but I want to be a little more specific tonight. I want to talk about your teen year. I want to talk about what you're going to actually do. I want to talk about, I'm, I love the heart commitment. I'm all in for the heart commitment. We do that all the time. We sing that all the time. You do that. I, I love that. I'm all for it. But I want to, I want to take the big commitment and I want to break it down a little bit tonight and say, all right, so the next, the, the seven years, your seven teenage years, let's tie them. What would your story be? What would the teen story you have be? What's your story about these crazy puberty years, the oh so scary teenage years? What would happen if you tithe them? If you said, God, as for these years, they're yours. Imagine the choices you're making in these teen years. I'm talking the, the importance of, the, of these years. Most of you are making choices about the career that you want to pursue, what you're going to do with your life in these years. Most of you are making choices about the morals that you're going to have. What's the standard that you're going to live by? Most of you in these years, you're making choices about relationships. Who, who are the friends that I'm going to have? And are they going to make me stronger or are they going to make me weaker? 
You're making choices about future spouse, how you're, who, who, you know, oftentimes, who am I going to pursue? And so many of the young people that we talk with and deal with, the choices that they made in their teen years regarding sexuality has them so in chains in their 20s. They made such horrible choices because they couldn't control their hormones or they were so confused or so broken about sexuality and they made bad choices. And so their 20s, they're wrestling with it. And even the ones saying, I'm giving everything to God in their 20s, but they're still wrestling with sexual encounters that they decided that were gonna be okay. After all, I'm dumb, I'm in puberty. I'm just, forgive me, I'm just, I'm just exploring. And there's a real result because of the choices that they made. It's real. Now listen, night one, what did we say? We talked specifically about the gospel and we talked about grace. We talked about Jesus and we talked about how, you, about Jesus paying the debt. And a lot of times there's always pushback whenever you start talking about making choices for holiness. Everybody kind of goes, oh dear, no way, don't you get a... But I wanna talk about reality. I wanna talk about, yes, we receive the good work of Jesus and what he did on the cross for us and he set us free and he empowers us to live a holy life. And you're gonna make choices to either be consecrated, I'm yours, I'm set apart unto you, or you're gonna make poor choices that does have effects on your life. So tonight, I'm just asking, what would happen? What would happen if the story of your teenage years was not one that I rebelled, but thank God he forgave me? I love that story, and that's a great story, and that's okay. It's a good story. What would happen if it's not, I wasted my teen years, but now I'm in my 20s and I thank God that he saved me. Okay, that's a good story. That's a fine story. But our aim is for this story. God, I want to tithe everything to you. I want to give you everything. I want to aim at you. And so tonight, I want to talk about, I want to, I want to, we're going to have at the conclusion, we're going to talk about we're gonna commit. And this is not, I don't want everybody to come forward tonight, please. I beg you to, tonight, here's, you probably never heard a preacher say this. If you are not all in, I, I'm asking you to keep your butt in your seat. Because I'm talking about real, I'm talking about people that are gonna do something that really gonna live this. I was talking to um, a girl recently and uh, she committed to this. And to this day, it's her story. To this day, and she never, she, she, the only man she ever dated was her husband. She led prayer meetings on her campus. She lived set apart to God. She lived consecrated. Today, she's prospering. She's a preacher of righteousness. She's in her 20s. One of her favorite stories is to talk about her, the commitment that she made when she was 12 years old to tie her teen years, to give all. And she lived it. She lived it. And tonight, I want her story to be your story. And I wanna just look at this. Okay, so oftentimes what we do is we say, yeah, all right, okay, but what, what does it look like? What does it look like to follow God when I'm a teenager? You know, we actually have a little bit about Jesus, about what Jesus was like as a teenager. I, I wanna read that to you, okay? So tonight we're gonna read Luke chapter two. Look at this, big story, Luke chapter two, verse 41. And let's read about Jesus. 
All right, now, listen, for those of you that are 18 and 19 and you're checking out, stop, pay attention. It's all coming to you in a minute, all right? Everybody pay attention. Here we go. Luke chapter two, verse 41. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, speaking of Jesus. And when he was 12 years old, will you say 12? 12. Well, well, that wasn't good enough. I heard Brandon, I didn't hear anybody else. And when he was? 12. It's better, thank you. When he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they, had finished the, when they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother, and his mother did not know it, but, suppose, uh, but, did not know it, but supposing him to have been in their company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you so anxious, have sought you anxiously, anxiously. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Look at this phrase, Jesus, 12 years old. His voice probably cracked when he said it. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. And then he went down with them them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And look at this. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. I want you to catch this tonight. Look at this. We have Jesus at 12 years old with a core conviction that comes out. Mom and dad, what are you doing? Come on, where are you at? You've been missing for three days. And a 12-year-old Jesus looks at his parents and says, I'm in puberty, chill. Get me a youth pastor that plays Pac-Man. Get somebody to take care of me. Entertain me. Come on, don't you know? Don't you know I'd be out partying and doing my own thing? My brain's not fully developed. I'm growing hair under my arms now. Let me be, off me, mom and dad, chill. Imagine the clarity at 12 years old. Did you not know? I must be about my father's business. I'm about what my father's about. I know who I am and I've got a mission. (laughs) I'm 12 years old and I know who I am. I'm 12 years old and I've got a plan. It's not fully developed yet. I'm still maturing and I'm sitting there with, in the temple, learning and speaking to which people are astonished. And look at verse 52. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, in favor with God and man. So a lot of times people say, hey, we don't, we don't know what Jesus did as a teenager. Yeah, we do. At age 12, he knew his mission. And 18 years later, we've got at age 30, him starting his ministry. And what we have for that time is that he was growing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and favor with man. He was learning. He was growing. He was praying. 
He's growing in favor with God, in favor with man. I mean, I don't know how you grow in favor with man when you're perfect. You probably have tons of favor as it is, except with your brother. I mean, imagine. Imagine James. James, you know, writes the epistle of James. It's Jesus' brother. Joseph and Mary had kids post-Jesus. Imagine being Jesus' little brother. Oh, I mean, imagine having your big brother be perfect. My brother's been struggling with this for years. Imagine, I mean, I can't even imagine it. I can't imagine, you know, poor James, you know, he's like, he's like trying to be the best he can and his mom's like, come on, James, get, have a better attitude, make your bed, be kind to people. Come on, James, why can't you be more like your big brother, Jesus? You know, James is looking at Mary going, why can't you be more like my big brother, Jesus? You know, <laughs> But what I love about this, I love Jesus here. This, this whole idea that at 12, at 12 years old, you know, in Jewish culture, in Jewish culture, you, the reason, I mean, you were considered an adult at 12. Mm-hmm. Imagine, I mean, if that took place in America today, it, we'd, be, we'd go crazy, right? Like, we, we, we don't want to be close to that, right? In America today, we say you're an adult at 21, right? I mean, all right? Or you're, some of you are joking, man. No, I think you're a joke. I, I, when, I, when I'm 16, then I'm an adult because I got a car. 18, well, let's say, okay, 21, all right? That's when you can drink, all right? All right? So at 21, not that you drink, I'm just saying, all right? This is, this is going badly right here. This is, I don't know where this came from. Forget the whole 21 thing. Just forget that. My point is, is that in America, we have it a lot older. But at 12, at 12, age 12, Jesus has got this clarity. I'm going to be about my father's business. And tonight, I'm inviting you to be about your father's business at age 12, 13, 14. Tied your teen years. And some of you say, well, I'm already 16. Okay, start now. Just start at whatever age you are right now. And here's, here's, here's the vision that I want to give you. I want to give you the vision of the vow that you took earlier today, that poster. These stories that we have right here represent it. You've got the first one is Josh Geary. And it was all about him spending time alone with God. It was all about what God did this past year as he prayed and as he sought God and the things that the Lord spoke to him. And you saw him over here, you know, with his journal and God leading him and God giving him ideas as he spent time alone with Jesus. And number one, one way, I wanna encourage you to do that. A way to consecrate yourself, to set yourself apart, spend time alone with God every day. Just commit to it. Set a time and a place. Everybody say time and place. Now, if you'll set a time and a place, you won't hit it 100% of the time, all right? But you'll hit it a lot more than if you never commit. So set a time and a place to be alone with God. A time and a place just to be, like Jesus in the temple, wanted to be with his father, right? Wanted to be talking about, G, about Jesus, set aside, or about, about his father, set a time and a place where you're going to just spend time alone with God, where you're just going to do it. When, I'm going to just tell you this. When I was a kid, my dad had us start, ah. see, I don't even try to be, I don't try for this stuff to happen. It's just so horrible. All right. This is going badly, John Egan. I fell. I accidentally talked about drinking. 
I, I, need, to, I need to work on a tighter outline. Anyway, <laughs> so you got Josh Gearing here, 12 years old. <laughs> He's not 12 years old. This is a long conference, man. This is a long conference. <laughs> Praise God for all he's done. All right, sorry. All right, here we go. So 12 years ago, Josh Gearing, right here. Okay, here we go. Focus. <laughs> so the story that we have with Josh was Josh spending time with God, and as a result, God uses him greatly. He spends time with Jesus. He starts to encounter Jesus. I was going to tell you this. For me, that's been, in my journey with God, that's been the greatest thing. My dad encouraged us and actually required of us as, when, to start spending time alone with God around a round table when we were in the second grade. And so for me, it was just a part of the routine. It was just a part of it. And as I, as I got older, it was, it was my lifeline. It was the, it was the number one thing in my, that helped me. And so I want to encourage you to take a time and a place and just spend time with God. Now take notes on this. Here's what I want you to do. People always say to me, David, I don't know what to do when I spend time with God. I'm going to tell you quickly. All right. Here's what I like to do. There's no such, there's no right way to spend time alone with God. But here's what I like to do. I get out my Bible. I get a journal and a pen. I used to have coffee. Now I have caffeine problems because I'm old, so I drink tea, but that's another story. So caffeine-free tea, all right? So I sit there, and the first thing that I do is I just, I, just, I, write, I just start writing praises to God. Take notes on this. Write this down. I start out and I just write praises to God. Here's what happens. When I start writing praises to God, then all of my problems that seem like such a big deal start to become small because I start to see how big God is in the midst of my 24-hour routine. So I think, man, I got a staff meeting today. You know, Stefan's mad at me. I've got all these issues and my temptation is for those things to just kind of fill my heart and for those to be the things that I'm worried about and thinking about. But when I focus in and say, God, you're holy and you're faithful and I just write it down. I start off just writing in a journal. So you get your journal out and you write a date and you put a date in there and then you just write out your prayer. The temptation is if you, if you don't write it down, sometimes it's easy just to let your brain wander and you think you're spending time with God, but you're not even praying. You're not even connecting. You're just, you're just, you're thinking about something else. So write it down. Just write praise and just write out, God, you're awesome. God, you're holy. And you'll start to behold God. You're fixing your eyes on Jesus. And then I write down, uh, I just put it, I just start to thank God. All right. The, the scripture says, enter into his courts with thanksgiving in your heart. So then I just start to thank God. God, thank you for Renata. God, thank you for my kids. God, thank you for New Life Church. God, thank you for what you're doing. God, I thank you for desperation. I thank you for all these young people that are coming this summer. God, I thank you. And I just start to thank God. And all of a sudden my heart gets softer and softer and all my anxiety and all my fear starts to just kind of dissipate as I start to just thank God for who he is. And I, my eyes are slowly getting off of me, off of Instagram, off of people, off of my job, off of security, off of my bank account, off of my lawn that isn't mowed, off of all those things. 
and started getting my eyes on Jesus. And then I just start to confess my sin. I look at the past 24 hours and I go, God, where did I miss it? If my goal is to be like you and I'm aiming to be like you, where, where did I miss it? Was I sarcastic with Brandon Cormier? Probably. Please forgive me. God. And just, I write and I just, and I, God, I repent. I repent of this. I confess this. And I just write down where I feel like I've missed it. All right? And then what I do is I just, I, I read some scripture and I just pray the scripture. So I write it down. I, I, I don't write the scripture. I read the scripture and then I write a response to God. So if I were to, if I were to read this scripture, uh, Luke 2.52, what we just quoted. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. I'll just, I would, my prayer back to God would be, God, help me to grow in wisdom. <laughs> How did this happen? God, help me to grow in stature. I don't really do that. I did for a long time. And he didn't answer that prayer. God, help me to grow in favor with you. They don't know what stature is. Anyway, it's height. But anyway, <laughs> I should have read that out of the message. Anyway, help, and so I'll just write back to God. I'll just write back, I'll just write back uh, prayers to God. So I'll write the scripture and then pray it back. All right, and so I just write out these prayers. Just write, write back your prayer to God. All right, so, you're, you're, so then the scripture becomes dialogue. All right, so it's not just monologue, you're reading it, but it's dialogue. And so you read it and then you pray it back to God and you say, okay, God, I'm giving this to you. And you just, you, you, pray, your, you pray back to God what he said. All right, so that's passion. I wanna encourage you to take time, spend time alone with Jesus. Commit to it. This is a way to tie their teen years. In your teen years, you're gonna try to aim for spending time alone with God every day. It's a big commitment. Intercession. This was the story that I, I, I was a wreck today as we heard Udi's story. But I want to encourage you to lead or be a part of prayer meetings. It's period. It's, it's not a law. It's not a rule. But it is so wonderful. Prayer meetings, I'm telling you, for me, I, we started a prayer meeting in ninth grade. And we, we, just, we decided to start one daily. And so in ninth grade, we did this prayer meeting every day at a public junior high. And it would start with five of us. It's easy to start with five because we had three triplets. We only had to have two friends. I showed up without even a friend, you know, Dana, Deborah, David, their two friends and me, you know, it's easy. Started with five and, but just pray, God, we pray for kids by name. God, we pray for so-and-so. God, just like the, like the, someone prayed for Udi and she gave her life to Jesus. Pray specifically for people. Pray for revival in your school. Ask God to do something and go start it. You'll be surprised. God will do stuff. We ended up with about 180 kids coming every day before school just to pray in ninth grade. And here's why. Here's the deal. God just goes, yeah, I want to answer those prayers. And here's the deal. I only tell you that number. Who cares about the number? The, the issue is that you do it. I don't care if you're doing it by yourself, but go and invite people and just be there. I've had seasons in my life where the prayer meetings blossomed and I've had prayer meetings. I, I tried to do it in college. I was there every day my freshman year of college by myself, except for the one girl that had a crush on me. But, so was, but I didn't like her by myself. And so, <laughs> mostly. And no, nope, but people didn't come. My point is not how many people come, but that you're faithful and that you do it. And it gives you a mission it gives you something to give yourself to, something more than what anybody else might persuade you to. Here, come to this party. Here, be a part of this. Be a part of this social club. Here, you got to be a part of this social network. You got to do this. You got to wear this. You got to do this. And it, it, when you've got a mission, God, have your way on your... Uh, so go do this. Figure out a time and a place, just like passion, just, just like spending time with God. Figure out a time and a place. I would encourage you at least one, 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 just do one prayer meeting a week. Just one. 
And you, if, if nobody, go to one. And if nobody is, if there aren't any, if there's not any at your local church, there's not any on your junior high campus or any on your middle school campus or any on your high school, then start one. Go to a teacher. I went to the shop teacher. I said, can we meet in your room? Your, the, the, the wood shop room. I never took his class. <laughs> John knows that. But I prayed in there every day. All right? Listen, go find a teacher. Say, can we use your room? Can we come early? Can we stay late? Can we come during lunch? And if nobody will give you a room, go to the, go to the flagpole. It's a public area. You can't, nobody can stop you. On the day, on see at the pole, if you, here's how you do it. It's just like, you know how there's ways to grow your church in high school, there's ways to grow your prayer meeting, all right? On, the, on see at the pole day, all right? On see at the pole day. It, see at the pole for high school students is what Easter is to local churches. I, I don't know why, but you're looking around the room and you're looking and you're leading prayer meetings every day and you look around and you go, you're saved? Really? So glad you're here. Let's go. And everybody shows up on see at the pole day. I don't know why. It's just culturally acceptable. So everybody shows up. It's kind of cool. You come and see at the pole. Did you see him at the pole? I saw you. What's up? I don't know. It's all social. And the whole idea, though, is supposed to be about prayer. And, and after it's all over, who's ever leading it, let them lead it. But at the end, say, hey, everybody, I want to invite you. I'm going to be praying right here at this pole every day until it gets too cold. <laughs> and then we're going to find another place. But just make a plan. You don't have to have somebody give you. Just make a plan. Just lead. Just, just come up with something. Just come up with an idea. One of the things I did when in high school is every seat at the pole, I just started begging people. I was like, hey, hey, everybody. We're praying. And, and by then in high school, we were in an English, our English teacher's room. Hey, everybody. And I'd pass out flyers and tell them, this is where we're praying. You're here to see at the pole. See at the English class room tomorrow. You know, but just lead it. Just push it. Why? Why? Because you're set apart for God. And you're, you've got a mission that you want to reach your campus. I'm telling you, if you will have a vision that says, in the days that I have, I'm going to give everything to reaching my junior high, my high school for God. And if you're homeschooled, then have a prayer meeting at your house. If you're, just lead, just go for it. Make a little social network. And if nobody comes, lead your parents to Christ. Do something, lead your pets to Jesus. Just have them, just work on it. Just work on it. Give it, a, just, just give it, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just talking about leading. I'm just talking about, don't wait for your youth pastor to say, here's the seven step process. Stefan and I wrote out ideas for helping DSM. And you know what we did? We sat there and we wrote out ideas that were just crazy ideas that I did in junior high and high school. They weren't given to me. They were just, uh, what, let's just do something. I want to just, just lead. And I'm telling you, in this idea of intercession, you'll be surprised. You'll be surprised how prayer will go from boring to exciting. Because in your heart, when you start to believe that your prayers make a difference, so what Jesus said in Matthew 7, ask you receive, seek and find, knock and the door will be open to you. Everyone asks, receives, everyone seeks, finds, everyone that knocks the doors open. You go, wow, God does stuff. When I pray, God, and so when you start to have some Udi stories, like some stories about, hey, we prayed for her, and then she gave her life to Jesus, and then she put her brother's name up here, and then he gave his life to Jesus, you start to go, wow, God, this prayer thing works. And instead of going, oh, let's have a conversation. Let's talk about it. Let's just, because if we could talk about it so long that we don't have to activate it, then we can justify our lethargy to never do anything for the kingdom. I'm saying activate it. I'm saying go lead prayer meetings. I'm in ninth grade, David. I'm in puberty. I know. Lead now. Go for it. Jesus at age 12. I'm about my father's business. 
age 12. Age 12, he's got a vision for where he's going. He's got a vision for those years. Consecration. Consecration is, I want to straight up invite you. I want to ask you to fast something one day a week. Consecrated. And I'm, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, just, just do, these th- give it, do these things for your teenage years. You can, write, you can start over again when you're 20, but just imagine if you spent your teenage years fasting a day a week. Just taking a week, fast something. If you fast food, great. If you just fast Instagram, fine. If you fast skinny jeans, I don't care what you fast, but fast one, whatever's hard for you to give up, right? Something that's a sacrifice, right? Sacrifice your your bling box, whatever it is. Just sacrifice something that means a lot to you, all right? Give up one thing, just something. And here's what happens when we fast. Jesus said it. Jesus said in Matthew 6, he didn't say, hey, the super Christians are going to fast. Right? And we kind of think that way. We don't say that. It's kind of under the surface. We kind of think, oh, fasting, that's for the, you know, that's for the super Christians. That's for my youth pastor. That's for my senior pastor. That's maybe even for my mom or my dad. Or the, no, 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 no. Fasting's for everybody. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, when you fast, he's, he's assuming that fasting's going to be a part of your routine. When you fast, here's what happens. You, you start to open up your heart towards God. All right? You increase your capacity to receive more from God. And it's not a barter. It's not like I'll fast so that you'll do this. It's just God, because I love you and you said to do, I'm going to fast. And what happens is your physical strength is decreasing. Your spiritual strength is increasing. And God's speaking to you and you start to encounter God. When I was a... when I, was at, when I was in college, I went to, I went to University of Oklahoma uh, my sophomore year. And I remember I, was, I, was, I, would, I would spend time with God. And in those years, I started going to coffee shops, right? And I thought coffee shops was where the glory of the Lord dwelled. You know, I just loved it. It was awesome. And I'd spend this, my time with God. And I'll never forget, it was, it was quite a ways into the fall. And I was, it was, I was just having this time alone with God. And it was just powerful. It was just it was like I was, I was writing my prayers so fast and I felt like there was a spirit of revelation on the scripture and I, I just was loving and I was writing my prayers back to God and the Lord's, it was just alive and, I, was, I, rem- and I, I remember writing to God, God, it seems like I have a, a powerful encounter with you about once a week. Try to spend time with God every day, miss it some days, but it feels like about once a week I have this encounter with you. Seems like you're close to me about once a week. And I was saying it like a, song, like a lament, like why, I want this every day, you know? And then I just went back just to test my theory. There's about once a week. And I went back and I, I just noticed that it was every, about every Tuesday, which was my fasting day. And I just remember writing out to God and sensing like the Holy Spirit was saying to me, I'm teaching you about fasting. I do draw near to those who draw near to me. And I'm not saying that that's a formula. I'm not saying that, hey, every day that you fast, you know, you're going you're to have a, a great time alone with God at all. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is I felt like the Lord was teaching me in that season. If you'll draw near to me through fasting, I'll draw near to you. I'll be faithful to you if you'll come close to me. Come close to me, I'll come close to you. Fasting, it's not that scary. I know everybody freaks out. We're Americans, you know. We're Americans and we've got every, I mean, we've got Chick-fil-A and Starbucks and Hostess. We don't have Hostess, but we have Burger King. We've got all kinds of different things. And so we don't, we're like, it's so foreign to us. But listen, 
If you will give up some of those things, if you'll forego some of those things, you'll be surprised. I remember a 12-year-old teenager in my youth group. I was talking about fasting in the fall, and we were, I was doing a series on fasting, you know, and parents were freaking out, you know, because all of a sudden you got teenagers fasting, and they're like, like oh, I, don't think this, I don't think the doctor would like this, you know. And go ask your doctor. Great. Your doctor will tell you exactly where you are physiologically. Don't let that be your excuse. And I remember she's 12 years old, and she said, David, I'm going to do a 21-day fast. And I got scared because I was like, her dad is huge. <laughs> she's this 21-day fast, 12 years old, 12. She said, I'm going to pray for my uncle to come to know Jesus. She goes, most of my family members are all saved, but my uncle doesn't know Jesus. She came back from her Thanksgiving break. She goes, David, I led my uncle to Jesus. I can guarantee you that young lady has a conviction that God hears her prayers, that fasting is valuable. When we fast, we open up our hearts. We say, God, I love these things. I love all these, I love food. I love these different things. I love Instagram and I love skinny jeans and I love whatever you love, but I love you more. And for me to forego this is what I desire because I love you so much. And I wanna challenge you, fast, fast, try it. Try fasting just a day a week. Just, just give it a go and just start. If, just start with what you can. If you just start with fasting tiramisu, just fast that. But take baby steps. Just fast something. And then when you feel like, okay, I got, I got the tiramisu thing. All right, then I'm going to do all sweets. Oh, no. Yeah. Fast. Try it. And then when you get that, go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go from fasting sweets to now it's fasting sweets and vegetables. <laughs> I don't know. No, just, just pick something, but... But here's the, I'm saying incrementally go, go stronger and stronger. Just start with something small and work your way up. Fast more, then fast more, then fast more. And uh, listen, I, I, how beautiful if you get to the point, you know, where when you're, it really hurts. It's really giving up something. And you start to develop this fasted lifestyle of just God, God working in you. Last one is this mission. This is the vow you took today. Many of you did. We want to encourage, just live intentionally with trying to help other people come to know Jesus. One of the things that we'd like to do is just take the names of two or three people and just write them in your Bible. Just write down the names of people that you're believing God for. You're just, and you're intentional, not only to pray for them, but to try to develop conversation, try to talk to them, try to just be with them, try to be their friend. You're not just, you know, it's not, the whole purpose is not, uh, hey, I'm going to fake a friendship with you. It's to actually be their friend. Is to actually be like Jesus, actually serve them, actually love them, actually pray for them, actually give them things. This came alive to me in the eighth grade. I was, my dad, I had this kid that I hated in eighth grade. This kid was my enemy. This kid literally was just driving me insane. He'd pick on me. I was small. He was free safety on the football team. And I hated this guy. And I told my dad and my dad said, what does Jesus say? about your enemies. I said, well, I wouldn't call my enemies dad. I mean, you're talking about like a different culture. I'm just talking about a kid at school. Chill out. 
And my dad was like, no, 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 it's applicable to you. And I was like, what's applicable mean? And he means, it, it applies. I was like, what applies means? It works. I was like, okay. <laughs> I want you to do the same thing. He goes, I want you to pray for, for, for your enemy. I go, well, he's just a, he's not my enemy. I mean, he's just, and my dad goes, no, 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 I want you to pray for him. He goes, tell you what, I'll pray with you. We'll pray together. And I was like, oh, I don't, like, oh, I can't stand this kid. I'm going to pray for him. He's like, no, let's pray for him. I'm like, dad. All right, you pray, I'll amen. <laughs> you know, like, because we don't feel like we want to do this. So we pray, so we start praying together. For, and my dad's bugging me about it. He's always like, let's pray for him. I'm like, fine. We start praying for him. Show up in ninth grade. Go through the summer, show up in ninth grade. First day of ninth grade. I have six one-hour classes, you know, six sessions, six classes. I show up for school. And this kid, I'm in a big junior high. So there's 1,700 kids in our, in our 7th, 8th, and ninth grade junior high. I show up. And so normally, you, you know, it's, if you get one kid, you know, you have a, a one class with a friend or something. But it's kind of, it would be crazy to have, like, a, a friend in two classes. You know, bizarre to have him in three. I showed up in the first day of ninth grade. The, the kid that I couldn't stand, but I've been praying for. He's in three of my classes. Three of my six. I went home after the first day of school. I said, Dad, you're not going to believe this. He said, three of, three of my six classes, God hates me. <laughs> and my dad said, no, this is your great opportunity. I go, no, 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 no. This is judgment. <laughs> he goes, no, 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 no. No, this is, let's pray for him. I go, oh, this pray for him is not working. It's making me be around him more. We pray for him. I go the next day. He's gotten a schedule change. Now he's in four of my class. Four. And the new one is drama class. And the second week of school, the teacher assigns for dramatic duets. I know, I sound kind of like a weird person, you know, drama guy. Ooh, you know, but I'd love, like, I, anyway. And so, there it is, come on. Drama class, all right, there. wow, woo, lots. Okay. No, stop, 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 stop. All right, before we do it. All right, what's your flag-waving thing called? Flag core, all right, they're a flag core. Nope, okay, so. <laughs> so I show up. The teacher puts us as dramatic duet partners. It's, it was horrible. It was awful. I told my dad, this is painful. Let's stop praying. <laughs> so this guy, we become friends. December, the first Friday night of December, it's the last football game of the year. And he says, hey, are you going to the football game tonight? I said, yes. He goes, hey, can I spend the night? And I'm like, you're popular. I'm a nerd. You're free safety. I got a mullet. What? What, what, you know, we're not, you, you want to spend the night at my house? And he's like, yeah. And I'm thinking, oh, all right. All right. Okay. So I say, all right, fine. He comes over. I'm like, why do you want to spend the night at my house? He's like, well, I don't know. You know, I mean, your sisters were kind of hot. And I'm, you know, and I'm like, you know, feeling like, oh man, this guy. That's how I got all my friends through junior high and high school, you know? Like, not really. 
So it's about midnight. And we're up in my room and we're just, I don't remember, we're just hanging out. It's this kid I've been praying for. Eighth grade. How old are you in eighth grade? 14? And 15? If you're held back. John Mack was 17 in the eighth grade. You know, Just kidding. All right. I got to end this sermon. We're sitting there. It's about midnight. It's about midnight. And he goes, all right. Why are you so nice to me? I'm like, what? He goes, I've been a jerk to you, man. It's like, why are you so nice to me? And I know. I mean, I'm a, I'm a good enough Christian. I know where this is going. I'm like, oh, oh what am I going to say? I'm tempted to kind of just blow this off. I'm like, I'm like, okay, here it goes. And I'm like, well, that's what God tells us to do. Jesus, you know, tells us to love the people that are mean to us. And I'm, I'm a Christian and that's what we do. And he goes, well, I want to do that. And I was like, you want to do what? I want to, what you said. I want to be one of those people that do nice things for mean people. And I was like, okay. And then I'm like nervous. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is the moment, you know, like, you know, like, oh, I've been hearing about leading people to Jesus my whole life. I've never actually done it. And I'm supposed to do this. I'm kind of got nervous. Like, what am I supposed to say? And I was like, all right, well, let me tell you how this starts. And I was like, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And I just, you know, a little eighth grade mullet kid, start telling him the gospel, you know, and I'm just like telling him about Jesus. And he's like, so what do we do now? And I was like, well, in church, you say a prayer after me. And he goes, do we have to go to church to do that? And I was like, we could do it right here. He's like, count me in. I watched this kid give his life to Jesus, become my friend. And then all throughout my high school years, he's like my friend helping us reach my high school for Jesus. He's like awesome. He came, became like my best bud. And here's the deal. The reason why I'm talking about these specific things is for me, sometimes in moments like this, I can sing epic songs and I can hear inspiring sermons and I can see really cool videos and and I can commit in kind of a grandiose kind of way. But I'm telling you, if we get this down to the nitty gritty stuff of just just these kind of little dorky situations where we're saying yes to God in this little stuff, that's where we're really consecrated, set apart unto God. It's in these little tiny things where we're giving to God and we're trying to spend time with them and we're trying to lead prayer meetings and we're trying to fast and we're trying to forgive our enemies and we're trying to love them. We're trying to give sacrificially to rescue the destiny of orphans and we're doing all these little tiny things. That's a transforming process and it doesn't happen overnight. You don't become, one day you're totally messed up and in sin and then, you know, you're just perfect. You're just like, ah. It doesn't happen that way. That was Ariel. You just... It's a process. It's, it's a process where you, where you say yes, you make little tiny decisions over and over and over and over again. And you've got, a, you've got a plan. You've got a vision. All right, passion. I got a vision to have a heart alive in God. I'm not gonna live dormant. I'm gonna have a heart that's alive, all right? Intercession. I'm gonna cry out to God. I'm gonna partner with him and I'm gonna believe for God to do works in my family or in my school. I'm gonna ask God to do things in the nations. I'm gonna take that prayer map that we got and I'm gonna pray for the nations and I'm gonna believe God. Consecration. I'm going to fast. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to have people that I'm focused on that I'm trying to lead to Jesus. 
I'm going to focus. I'm going to have a plan. Listen, Christianity, following Jesus, is not dull and boring, horrible church life. Christianity is alive with the power of God and real relationship that lasts forever. And so I'm just saying, I'm just saying your temptation is going to be to just rebel or waste it. But what happens if you tithe it? Take these teen years, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. God, Psalm 90, man lives but 70 years. God, I'm going to tithe these teen years. They're yours. I'm going to give them to you. I'm going to, I'm going to just go for it wholehearted. You wake up at 20 years old. If you've consecrated, you watch. You wake up at 20 years old. It means you will have walked across your high school uh, platform at commencement and you'll look out at your friends and you'll have prayed for them and you'll have had a vision for them and you'll actually love them rather than be jealous of some and hate another and can't wait to know you for a long time and I'll follow you on Twitter. And Instead, you'll look at them and they'll have been your man. You'll love them. You'll wake up at 20 years old and instead of having all kinds of sexual sin and sexual issues and be 20 years old and be like hurt and have all kinds of soul ties and frustrated, you'll wake up and you'll be pure and you'll be a woman of God or a man of God. You'll wake up at 20 years old and on your university campus, instead of the moment that somebody challenges you intellectually and you're like, oh man, well... I don't know how that works and I can't explain that and I can't explain that, but my university professor says this. And so since I can't explain it, I guess I don't believe it. And I guess the whole thing was a hoax and I'm gonna walk away from the faith because my faith was just a house of cards anyway. And I just was wasting it. I was just a church kid anyway. No, you tithe your teen years. You'll have, you'll have stories about leading people to Jesus. You'll have stories about God answering your prayers. You'll have stories where God met you in the secret place. You'll have stories about walking as a 15-year-old in another country and praying for a guy that was, couldn't talk and started talking and you prayed for him to hear and he started hearing. And no matter, no university professor can talk you out of you, who God is. That's what'll happen. I'll close with this. John, if you guys will come on up. I love in John 17. It's Jesus' prayer. He's about to embrace the cross. He comes to the end. It's the high priestly prayer of Jesus. <laughs> Verse four. He's, he's coming to the end. I mean, he's about to embrace the cross. And he says this to his father. Imagine this, Jesus I have brought you glory on earth. And this is the phrase I want you to get. By finishing the work you gave me to do. Let me say that again. I, Jesus, have brought you, the heavenly father, glory on earth here. How? How did he do it? By finishing the work, the assignment, the business you gave me to do. Here's Jesus. Just leave that up there. Here's Jesus. And he's about to embrace dying, being whipped, dying on a cross. He's about to go through the most agony any human in history has ever gone through. And he looks at his father and he's looking back. 
And in prayer, he says, I, I have finished the business, the work, the assignment. I've done it. I've done what you've called me to do. That which you gave me to do, I've, I'm, I've completed it. I'm doing it. I finished. I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work. Here's my question to you tonight. First, I love that confession. When did his work start? When he raised Lazarus from the dead? No. When he gave his amazing sermon? No. Sermon on the Mount? No. What about at the baptism? You know? The baptism right before he goes 40 days in the wilderness. No. You know where it started? When he was 12 years old. Guys, you know where I must be. I'm 12 years old. Did you not know I would be about my father's business? Did you not know the things that are on the father's heart are on my heart? Did you not know at 12 years old, he started growing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and favor with man? 12 year old and when Jesus is praying John 17 the work he didn't just show up you know at 30 ready to go now at 12 he was living different than his peers at 12 he was in the temple at 12 his parents were going huh you're unique you're different Jesus really at 12 what happens if you, as a teenager, start to live different? I want to live different. I'm going to give myself to something. I'm not going to allow MTV to dictate who I become. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to allow my, my friends to dictate who I become. I'm not going to allow. I, I, I know it lasts forever. I'm, a, I'm 12 years old. I'm 13 years old. I'm 14 years old. But I know what my father's called me to do. I know, I know about his business. And here, I'm not saying that you know like who to be, what your career is. I'm not saying that you know, you know who you're going to marry. I'm not saying, you know, I'm talking about this. I'm about God. I'm 12 years old. I'm 13 years old, but I'm about God. Please stand to your feet. Many of you have a testimony of brokenness, sin, and Jesus has saved you, and that's beautiful. And it's awesome. We all have that story. And we have all kinds of different stories of levels of addictions and sin and pain and greed and lust. That's all of our story. Jesus redeemed us. But you have a choice to make. How are you going to live in these teen years? Some of the greatest world changers I've ever met didn't become world changers in their 30s and 40s. They started when they were teenagers. Jesus started when he was a teenager. 12. I want to invite you tonight to tithe your teen years. I want to invite you tonight 
Here's what I promise you. If you'll do this, I promise you this. You'll wake up on your 20th birthday and you'll have a habit of spending time with God and he'll be your all in all. You'll have a habit of being addicted to gathering with the saints to cry out in the place of prayer for God to work and move. You'll have a habit of taking a day a week to just be with set apart fasting for God. You'll have a habit of giving to the poor or the orphan. You'll have a habit of trying to help unreached people. You'll have all these things that are inside of you that will empower you for a whole life of following Jesus. These are not the years to waste. These are not the years to rebel. These are the years to tithe. These are the years to consecrate yourself and watch God use you for a lifetime. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. God, I tie these years to you. God will surprise you. Because all right, it's the whole idea of the tithe is giving your first and your best. Give this first years of your adulthood. Calling age 12 adulthood. Calling age 12, you're starting to step out of childhood. Give them your, the first and your best, the tithe, and you'll watch God give you blessing after blessing after blessing. You'll wake up on your 20th birthday. You won't be addicted to pornography. You'll wake up on your 20th birthday. You won't have hatred, anger, cluelessness. I don't know where you'll be, but you, you'll, you'll, you'll be so shocked, you'll be shocked how God rewards the righteous. So many rewards for the righteous. So tonight, if you're in, count me in. I'm, I'm serious. I, I, please don't come down unless you mean it. I, listen, I don't. I, I, I don't, I, it does not matter to me how many people come forward in terms of like the feeling in the room. I don't, I, 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 I don't want that. I, I'm talking, I'm doing this. I'm talking about tithing your teeny. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about you're going to be the one that comes and says when you're in your 20s, I did that back in 2013. I'm talking about, it's serious. I'm, I'm talking about that kind of person. I'm not like really serious. That's you. I just, want, I just want to invite you. I want you just to come forward and I want to pray with you. You're going to tithe your teen years to God. If you're already 15, 16, 17, or 18, just, just go with the rest of them. Just what you got left. Or just go for a full seven. Seven years. Just
blown away by this response. You mean it. Really. We're gonna do this. You're gonna have good days and bad days. You're gonna have days you fall so short. You're gonna be so tempted to just throw in the towel and give up. Just keep remembering the cross. And just keep re-signing up every day. Just God coming after you yet again today. We never arrive. We just keep coming back. I love you. I'm blown away by this. Just stretch out your hands. Like, 
just a, a, a fake moment, right? Promise me, this is real, right? This is, this is real. We're really doing this. I just want you, I just want to give you a moment just to pray, just between you and God. You and Jesus right now. Just, just want you to pray. Whatever's on your heart, just pray. Say, God, I'm doing this. Just pray what's on your heart right now between you and God. Confess to him where this seems scary. Ask him to give you strength. Be real, honest. Honest. 